0: Ladies and gentlemen, our battle to be free is heating up. It's heating up tremendously. And wow, the battle is becoming very, very personal as we just talked about earlier today on Bloodlines. The Rothschilds, who have financed communism from the very beginning and financed big pharma, global big pharma, and uh, have taken over. let's put it this way, a colonial empire of banksterism, global empire of banksterism, by which they uh, plan to depopulate the earth with their COVID jabs. That's basically what's going on. Hello, Bavaria man, Nimble Horse, and others in the chat room. Thanks for joining us today. So today's subject is going to be the connection between global banking and global communism and how the two are joined at the hip like Siamese twins always have been. But this detail of history is always either ignored or deliberately suppressed. And yes, nimble horse, uh, Karl Marx, the the first battleground is the rewriting of history and the left has... A, uh, has a tremendous ability to rewrite history, and so do the Jews, because the left, the radical left for sure, has always been controlled by Jewry, as we're going to find out right now with, uh, this, I put the link, I'll put the link in the chat room again, just in case it got covered up by, uh, a lot of jabber by the, uh, Jabbers, <laughs> the Jabberwocky, the chatters in the chat room. And uh, wow, it's, it's amazing that this website, this is actually a sports website. It's called Sports 24-7 or 247sports.com. Too long a URL to uh, repeat, so, uh, or to, to say. And, uh, but it has this article entitled Karl Marx was Rothschild's third cousin. And uh, we've heard all kinds of rumors about Hitler being related to the Rothschilds, which I've never been able to verify, but here we have an actual genealogical chart of the relationship between Karl Marx and uh, certain members of the Rothschild family. And I quoted this morning the connection between... Uh, lionel rothschild who was a member of parliament when Karl marx was in london in his neck in uh, rothschild's neck of the woods it's fairly obvious that uh, lionel rothschild yeah. either financed yeah. Karl marx or uh, or at least was a guiding uh, spirit behind the works okay so uh, pastor martin's uh says that uh His connection in South Africa is not very good, so he won't be able to do the show today. Uh, We weren't able to do a show last week because I had problems with my computer, and it turned out that Pastor Martins was also very ill, so he would not have been able to do the show anyway. And uh, so uh, he's unable to do the show today. I just got a message from him. So thank you, Pastor, for giving us that info. So, uh, but we're going to continue with uh, our planned show for today, where <laughs> uh, this is apparently uh, either comments or editing by uh, what's his name now, uh, Henry Macow, HenryMacow.com, who often even though he's Jewish, he often does exposes of communism and capitalism and the Jews' involvement in those two areas, okay? So uh, there are some surprising things you can get from uh, Jewish sources. Anyway, this is H.V. Tech's Reb, (laughs) whatever that means, Uh, high-tech rabbi, Uh, April 13, 2015, Uh, And it has a. Now it's interesting. It shows Karl Marx with his hand in his jacket pocket, which is an international symbol of Freemasonry. Uh, Engels and uh, other uh, Jewish communists were also Freemasons. So the, the connection between Freemasonry and Judaism is very strong. Uh, We have in the past on Eurofolk Radio explained that the Jews have always controlled Freemasonry. Well, let me put it this way. In 1776, May 1st, 1776, the uh, Myram Chen Rothschild created the Illuminati uh, along with Adam Weishaupt for the intention of infiltrating Masonry, which at that time was not, not really subversive of uh, Europe, Uh, Freemasonry began in England with the intention of attacking the the Roman Catholic Church from behind the scenes. That's what the original intent of Freemasonry was. However, once it reached the continent, especially once it reached Germany, then the Rothschild decided to infiltrate it with the Illuminati. So the Illuminati, which is totally Jewish, had infiltrated Freemasonry from that day forward, okay? This was just a few months before the formation of the United States of America. So the Illuminati had not had yet time to infiltrate all of Freemasonry. They were just beginning to do that. So at that point in time, Freemasonry was very, very loosely organized, although it had international chapters the every lodge was pretty much on its own and uh, had its own Character had its own beliefs, etc., etc. American Freemasonry was not nearly as subversive as European Freemasonry. Uh, European Freemasonry was created to subvert the Catholic Church. Period. Okay. Uh, under under the Rothschilds, it broadened its uh, subversiveness to all of Christianity and to all of Christian civilization. That's that's how it worked out. Okay. So it shows a picture here of Karl Marx, and it says Karl Marx was Rothschild's third cousin. And we suspected that there was a a genealogical connection between the two. And a quote from the Protocols of the Alerted Elders of Zion, number six, in order that the true meaning of things may not strike the goyim, And, of course, we are the goyim. All non-Jews are the goyim, according to them. Before the proper time, we shall mask it under an alleged ardent desire to serve the working classes. (laughs) Okay, that is what Karl Marx did under instructions from the Rothschilds. Whether he was related to them or not, he was taking his instructions from the Rothschilds, particularly through Lionel Rothschild in London. And so this apparently originally comes from Metapedia abridged by HenryMackow.com. Karl Heinrich Marx, 5 May 1818 to 14 March 1883, was a 19th century Jewish political ideologue who presented himself to the world as a journalist and economist. He is best known for subverting the nascent socialist movement, likely as an agent of his cousin Rothschild, and on instructions from his mentor, Moses Hess. Moses Hess was the Jew, the Ashkenazi Jew, who created both the Zionist movement and the communist movement as the world knows them both today. He created both of those simultaneously, with the intention of dividing the world politically into two camps, one pro-Zionist, one and the other pro-Communist. And these two movements have never been antagonists to each other. Both movements have always been antagonistic to Christian civilization, and have infiltrated Christian civilization to divide and conquer. So every country in the world has been divided by these two movements, these two political movements, Zionism and Communism. And the people in those countries will either pick one or the other, either Zionism, which has infiltrated Christianity, and Communism, which has infiltrated the left. So this is how Moses has designed the situation to pit left and right against one another until the two destroy each other, okay? Yes. And uh, Trotsky, uh, Nimble Horse, uh, provides a quote from Trotsky. The biggest bankers across the ocean will work in the closest possible contact with us. If we win the revolution, we shall establish the power of Zionism upon the wreckage of the revolution's funeral, and we shall become a power before which the whole world will sink to its knees, unquote. Trotsky. Now, the interesting thing about Trotsky versus Stalin, Trotsky was also a diehard Zionist. Trotsky was a Freemason, an Illuminist, a Zionist, and a communist. Stalin was not necessarily a Zionist. He was more of a Russian national, even though he wasn't Russian himself. He he favored a nationalist version of communism, uh, confining it to Russia and the surrounding territory and not promoting Zionism. So Stalin was not in favor of promoting Zionism, although he was not against it. He just didn't uh, believe that that's a good strategy. Uh, the, the Jewishness of communism would thereby be too evident to people, okay? Trotsky didn't care. He was just interested in rule, having the Jews rule the world, whether by communism or by capitalism, okay? So th- that's, that's where the difference between... And then uh, Stalin actually had Trotsky assassinated while uh, Trotsky was in uh, Mexico. So, but nevertheless, the Jews rule the roost, Uh, because the Jews will disagree with one another, and uh, Stalin was a Jew also. His real name was Dugashvili, which means uh, son of a Jew, uh, translated into English as Jewison. So Jews do fight amongst themselves and will kill each other and assassinate one another depending on how they feel about one another, right? But when it comes to working together against us, that is really what unifies the Jewish people. Totally anti-Christianity and the satanic spirit that runs through the bloodline of the Jewish people, and, and uh, that's that's genealogical as well. It's not just spiritual; it's genealogical, because uh, Cain, who is the first Jew, he was a proto-Jew. It was the son of the devil. Absolutely, one hundred percent, the son of the devil. Genesis three fourteen and fifteen. All right, so let's get back to this article, which I'm surprised is published in a, sports, in a sports journal. Anyway, Marx came from a long line of Jewish rabbis. He lived in Dean Street, London, in Squalor. He used to visit the Red Lion Pub at Great Windmill Streets. So I wonder if that's still there, so in the Soho area, where he and Friedrich Engels were asked to write what became the Communist Manifest. Now, Friedrich Engels is another Jewish capitalist slash communist. He was a very rich Jewish capitalist, but also spent his entire life promoting communism, just like Moses Hess, just like the Rothschilds. So you have this commonality between communism and finance capitalism, not free enterprise, folks. That's a whole different ballgame. Free enterprise, otherwise known as the American system, is when the government supports the working class. And our government supported the working class until probably, well, until the Federal Reserve Bank was created. And the, the, the only business the government has in the economy is to make sure the money supply is kept stable. That's why our Constitution created a definition of a dollar as being uh, a number of grains of silver. And that is the official money. We we are free to exchange goods any way we please with check money, but we, we are not supposed to, no private entity is supposed to issue the currency. When the Federal Reserve Bank was created, the government turned the issuance of the currency over to this private Jewish bank, called the Federal Reserve, which is nothing but an offshoot of the Rothschild Bank of England in London. And that's the big difference. Under true free enterprise, the government issues the currency and regulates the value thereof, whereas in Jewish finance capitalism or finance capitalism, the Jewish banksters issue the money and regulate its supply. And right now, As we were talking about on Bloodlines this morning, we've got a hyperinflation creating a great big bubble, which uh, one of the Rothschilds is going to pull out a pin and stick it into that bubble whenever they see fit, and boom, catastrophe, collapse, that's what's going to happen, folks, that's coming, mark my words, it's coming, all right, so in in Soho, where he was working with Friedrich Engels, another Jew, where the two of them wrote the Communist Manifesto. His best-known work, that is uh, Marx's best-known work, is the book Das Kapital, which fails to mention that money is printed out of thin air and by his cousins, the Rothschilds, okay? So Das Kapital does not mention the fact that, uh, that all these banksters are Jews, And it doesn't go into detail about why these Jews would finance communism. Doesn't say anything about that. Okay. The best book ever written about how Jewish banksters have financed communism is the book Under the Sign of the Scorpion by Yuri Lina. And you can search for that book. And there's several free PDFs of that book online. I highly advise you to read that book, Under the Sign of the Scorpion, by Yuri Lina. It goes into detail, naming the banks, the European banks of Western Europe, which financed the Bolshevik Revolution. Of course, the uh, the, the house of the czars would not permit the Rothschilds to establish a bank in Russia. This is one of the reasons why Uh, Russia was targeted by the Jews for destruction because they wanted to have their bank uh, on Russian soil. And so they had to eliminate the czars and destroy Russia in order to establish that. And of course, the Bolshevik revolution was utterly financed by Jewish banksters. Okay? This is the reality of the situation. Don't let anybody tell you any different. So... The background. Karl Heinrich Marx was born in Trier, Kingdom of Prussia, on 5 May 1818, an Ashkenazi Jew, to Herschel Mordecai and Henriette Pressburg. Marx's Jewish name is Chaim Herschel Mordecai. Marx descended from Talmudic rabbis. His paternal ancestors had provided rabbis to Trier since 1723, a post last held by his grandfather. During the Napoleonic War of the Sixth Coalition, Marx's father, Herschel Mordecai, became a Freemason in 1813, joining the Lodge, Lodge Letel uh, Anziatique, the Hanseatic Star, in Osnabrück. After the war, he feigned conversion to Lutheranism, as Jews often do, Moranos, the swine, so-called, of Spain, the conversos, who pretend to convert to Christianity so they can infiltrate Christianity. So Karl Marx's father did that, the same thing. After the war, he feigned conversion to Lutheranism as a means to better infiltrate Prussian society. He pretended to be an, quote an assimilated bourgeois enlightenment liberal right well that's what most Jews are they're bourgeois enlightenment liberals interested in if not outright out-and-out communists interested in free thought and was wealthy owning some Moselle vineyards probably cheated a, uh, a French a French uh, you know vine keeper out of his out of his vineyards out of his land, one of Marx's grandparents was Nanette Solomon Barrett Cohen, who belonged to a wealthy Amsterdam family. Her cousin had married Nathan Meyer Rothschild and bore Lionel Nathan Rothschild, Baron and Member of Parliament of the, for the City of London. Karl Marx was brought up by his family to hate Jesus Christ, as all Jews are. The only Jews who escaped that kind of propaganda upbringing are those who are the so-called non-religious Jews, but even the non-religious Jews become communists. So uh, it's almost always the case that a Jew will either be a communist, a Zionist, or both. In any case, they will hate Jesus Christ and Christianity. So it shows here the bloodlines of Barrett Cohen of Amsterdam uh, circa 1710, and she gave birth to uh, F- Solomon David Barrett Cohen and also Levi Baron Cohen and Lydia Diamantschliefer. Lydia Diamantschliefer and Sarah Brandes. Now, now, unless Sarah, B- oh, okay, I think if, I'm reading this wrong. Okay. Solomon Barrent Cohen Solomon David Barrent Cohen married Sarah Brandis. And their offspring was Nanette Salomon Barrent Cohen, who married Isaac Heismans Pressburg seventeen forty seven. And their offspring was Herschel. Henriette Mordecai, or rather, okay, Henriette Pressburg, sorry, difficult to read this because it's not uh, vertical, married Henriette Pressburg, uh, begot Henriette Pressburg, who married Herschel Mordecai and begot Karl Marx. So there's, there's the genealogy of Karl Marx through the Pressburgs, through the Pressburgs and the Cohens, okay? Now, on the other side, Barrett-Cohen begot Levi Barrett-Cohen, who married Lydia Diamantschliefer. And they begot Hannah Barrett-Cohen, who married Nathan Meyer Rothschild, who begot Charlotte, uh, who begot Lion, Lionel Baron de Rothschild, who married Charlotte Baronin von Rothschild. Okay, they keep it, the Rothschilds like to keep it in the family. Emma Louise von Rothschild married Nathan Meyer Rothschild, Lion Walter Rothschild, and the Balfour Declaration. So, Lionel. Rothschild, the directly related third cousin of Karl Marx. So there the the genealogy is stated uh, very plainly. So question, was Marx a Rothschild agent? Critics have suggested that Marx's mission was to co-opt the nascent socialist movement. Before Marx ever wrote a word following the Industrial Revolution, the socialist movement already existed in Germany, France, Britain, and elsewhere. Marxists have tried to monopolize socialism and insisted unless you follow Marxist theories, you cannot be a socialist. This is a clear fraud and usurpation, very much like the Catholic Church's insistence, unless you follow Catholicism, you cannot be a Christian. Okay, of course, no, we we don't buy either one of those theories, folks. We don't buy either one of those. A major question in this regard is, who was behind Marx? The book. Der preußische Regierungsagent Karl Marx, or, or in English, the Prussian regime agent Karl Marx, by Wolfgang Waldner, suggests initially that Marx worked as a police spy for the Prussian regime, probably because a rich Jewish banker got the Prussian regime to put him in such a position. Waldner mentions the fact that Marx married Jenny von Westphalen in 1843. She came from a wealthy Prussian family. Her brother was Ferdinand von Westphalen, who was Russian minister of the interior from 1850 to 1858. So how does a a, a Russian-Jewish slob, <laughs> actually, i sorry, he wasn't Russian, a, a German-Jewish slob like Karl Marx get married to a high-ranking woman like von Westphalen? How does that happen? I'll bet there was money paid. Anyway, Ferdinand, Marx's brother-in-law, was regarded as a reactionary who ran a vast spy network which kept tabs on dissidents. Now, this again, these are labels, and we know very well that a lot of political labels are phony that the Jews play both sides of the fence constantly. We did a show recently, uh, uh, Michael Sweet and I did part one of a show on how so many Jews have become uh, Nazis and have even infiltrated the Klan, Jews posing as Nazis and Jews posing as Klansmen. It's actually a very common thing. Most people don't realize that. Marx moved to London in 1849 while Marx was authoring Das Kapital in the British Museum reading room. His famous cousin Lionel de Rothschild conveniently was member of parliament for the city of London, 1847 to 1868 and 1869 to 1874. Rothschild's, Marx's third cousin by blood, and other Jewish finance syndicates were very prominent in promoting Jewish emancipation and Masonic liberal and Protestant ideas which took hold of society at the start of the 19th century. Yeah, well, when you control the press, you control people's minds. That's called democracy, folks. Democracy is Jews controlling people with the press. The idea of Marx as a Rothschild shill was raised as a concern by his contemporary rival in the First International, Mikhail Bakunin, in 1869, who was not even aware of the fact that Marx and Rothschild were cousins. Bakunin wrote presciently, quote, "The world, This world is now, at least for the most part, at the disposal of Marx on the one hand, being a communist, a socialist revolutionary, and of Rothschild on the other, being a finance capitalist. This may seem strange. What can there be in common between socialism and a leading bank? The point is that authoritarian socialism, Marxist communism, demands a strong centralization of the state. That's why I refer to both as monopoly communism and monopoly finance monopoly communism, and monopoly finance. And where there is centralization of the state, there must necessarily be a central bank. And where such a bank exists, the parasitic Jewish nation, speculating with the labor of the people, will be found, unquote. This is indeed prescient. Let me read it again. And where there is centralization of the state, what do we have with the Federal Reserve Bank? What do we have with the Bank of England? All of these so-called national banks, they're privately owned by very, very rich Jews who use the power to create money to control the people. That's how it works, folks. That's how they control us. Centralization of money creation via the Jewish-owned banks. Okay, so, and where there is centralization of the state, there must necessarily be a central bank, and where such a bank exists, the parasitic Jewish nation speculating with the labor of the people will be found, unquote. Mikhail Bakunin, and uh, this is in French, I'm not gonna try to read it, but uh, if you can search for this uh, article at 24/7 Sports, that uh, Marx was a cousin. Marx, Karl Marx was Rothschild's third cousin. That's the title of the article. You can search for that online. I'm sure you'll find it very easily. So, continuing, after the bloodlines and after this statement by Bakunin. Now, Bakunin and Marx were uh, actually very well acquainted with one another. Uh, Bakunin was not a communist. He was... uh, he was the exact opposite. He wanted uh, to dissolve all government altogether. But uh, both, uh, both wanted to destroy the you know, the regimes that existed at the time for different purposes. So they they briefly worked together at the international. But then Bakunin realized that Karl Marx was actually working against the freedom of the people, because he was trying to enslave them to Jewish capitalist monsters, okay? Bakunin became aware of this, and he severed relations with Marx altogether. Now, Russia. Perhaps the most pronounced and consistent aspect of Marx's ideology was his extreme and radical hatred of Russia, last bastion of Christian civilization at the time. He and Engels regarded Russians and Slavs in general as subhuman. Volker abfall, that's the fallen away barbarians. He had lived to see his ideological heirs, Oh, had he lived to see his ideological heirs, Vladimir Lenin, Leon Trotsky, Grigory Zinoviev, butcher, butcher them by the millions, he would no doubt have cackled in orgasmic joy at the horrors visit upon them. Men, women, and children. Yes, the, the essence of Judaism, folks, is absolute hatred of white Christian people. And that's why they destroyed Russia. And that's why they're in the process of destroying America. That's why they destroyed Germany twice. That's why they have destroyed every single white Christian nation on the face of the earth. They don't bother destroying, even though Jews have subverted and infiltrated Islam, Islamic countries and other countries, they don't bother trying to destroy them because they know that those cultures will not ever rise up against them. Only white Christian people ever rise up against the Jews because we figure them out. And they know we have the ability to figure them out The host gets irritated by the parasite when the parasite gets too powerful. And that's when the host tries to eject the Jews, as white Christian civilization has done several hundred times, actually, ejecting the Jews from our nations and nation-states throughout history. The gambit that the Jews have employed in these latter days is to take over every single country via the United Nations, creating a one-world government, which will be controlled by them so that they can't be ejected by white Christian people. But we know that this is also going to backfire, as is predicted in uh, Revelation 17, 18, and 19. Okay, so Marx was a bloodthirsty Jew, period. Period. Marx used the newspaper Neue Rheinische Zeitung to try and incite a war against Russia. This Russophobia was also behind the strange alliance with Tory David Urquhart, someone who I'm not familiar with, David Urquhart, when he moved to London, and Marx thus has the blood of the people who died in the Crimean War on his Jewish hands. I guess David Urquhart was responsible for arranging the Crimean War against Russia, of course. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Urquhart was also a Jew. Henry Hindman, who spent many hours in Marx's company in his record of an adventurous life, attributed this anti-Russian obsession to Marx's Jewish ethnocentrism. The Soviets tried to cover up this fact about Marx, okay? Because, well, you're not supposed to know that communism is Jewish. (laughs) You're not supposed to know that the Jews are Canaanites, Khazars, and uh, Edomites, all descended from Cain. You're not supposed to know that either. Quotes from Marx. Quote, the Jew has emancipated himself in a Jewish manner not only by gaining financial power, but because through him and without him, money has become a world power. And the practical Jewish spirit has become the practical spirit of the Christian nations. The self-emancipation of the Jews has gone so far that the Christians have become Jews. And I cannot disagree with this statement. The vast majority of Christians falsely believing that the Jews are Israel, have effectively become Jews. Lily asks, why do some believe Rothschild is not Jewish? Because nobody tells them. <laughs> they assume that uh, a Roth- well, Rothschild, that's not really a, a Jewish name, is it? Of course, uh, Meyer Amshell. Uh, was his real name was Bauer, Meyer Amshel Bauer. That's also not a Jewish name. Bauer means uh, basically a villager, uh, a village farmer. Because in in Europe, especially in Germany, the farmer, the farmsteads, did not have farmhouses necessarily. The farmsteads surrounded the village, and each uh, farmstead was run by a particular villager hence the term Bauer. So Rothschild, Meyer Amschel, was trying to impersonate Germans the whole time, <laughs> and Rothschild simply means red shield, of Deutsch, so, uh, t- to hide his Jewishness. So uh, many, many Jews hide their Jewishness by changing their names, and that's probably why, Lily, most many people think that Rothschild is not Jewish, but of, of course he was. And Nimblehorse says, quoting a couple of quotes here, Karl Marx, who came from an old family of rabbis. Hold on, I have to scroll back up. The screen just jumped up on me. All right, yeah, Satan. (laughs) Yes, they're of the satanic blood. Karl Marx, who came from an old family of rabbis and brilliant Talmudic scholars. The Talmud is the true Jewish Bible, folks. Don't let anybody tell you any different. The Jews do not practice biblical religion. And Yahshua Messiah condemned the Pharisees, the Jewish Pharisees, for their wholesale permutations of the Old Testament now called Talmudic Judaism, and I'm going to quote from the Universal Jewish Encyclopedia, 1942, the Jewish religion as it is today traces its descent without a break through all the centuries from the Pharisees. All right? They admit that their religion is Pharisaic Judaism. Their leading ideas and methods found expression in a literature of enormous extent, of which a very great deal is still in existence, the Talmud is the largest and most important single member of that literature. Notice not one word about the Hebrew Bible. Next, and this, uh, the this brilliant. So his uh, father was a Talmudic scholar, and uh, this was to point the path of victory for the proletariat. In, in other words, the manipulation of the proletariat. Quoted from uh, El Renap, from Anti-Semitism and the Jewish Question, London, 1942, ironically the same year that the um, Universal Jewish uh, Encyclopedia was published. All right, and then among his, Karl Marx's ancestors were rabbis and talmudists, men of learning, and keen intellect. Yeah, shrewd, lying, deceiving Jews (laughs) by Henry Wickham Steed in the American Hebrew, December 9, 1927. So there's all kinds Of evidence that the Jews are the authors of communism, the authors of all revolutionary movements in the modern era, and the authors of usury and finance capitalism throughout all of history. There's absolutely no doubt about these things, okay? So, but nevertheless, very very few people know these things. Again, if you really want to understand and know the details, of how Jewish bankers financed the Bolshevik Revolution. Read Under the Sign of the Scorpion by Yuri Lina. That is the most comprehensive book. Naming names, naming Jewish bankers and how they financed the Bolshevik Revolution and then subsequently pillaged the estates of all the Russian nobility and sold it flea market style to recoup their losses from uh, financing the revolution. Of course, they they confiscated the entire country of Russia away from the Russian people, so they did ultimately recoup their investment, as they always do, because that was part of the plan. They don't invest money in something without having a plan for how to recoup their investment and then ultimately make a profit. So, the uh, self-emancipation... Let me start this all over again. Quotes from Marx. The Jew has emancipated himself in a Jewish manner, not only by gaining financial power, but because through him and without him, money has become a world power, and the practical Jewish spirit, which is materialism and greed, has become the practical spirit of the Christian nations, and that is correct. It's called Judeo-Christianity. Christians falsely following the Jews wherever the Jews lead them as if they have rings in their noses. The self-emancipation of the Jews has gone so far that the Christians have become Jews. Yes the practical dominion of Judaism over the Christian world has reached its normal unambiguous expression in North America. This was even before the Federal Reserve but Marx knows very well or knew very well that the Rothschilds were responsible for assassinating every American president who was ever assassinated. Right down to JFK. Next quote. What was the real basis of the Jewish religion? Practical need, egotism. I would say practical greed. The god of practical need and egotism is money. Money is the jealous god of the Jews before whom no other God may endure. Money debases all gods of men and transforms them into commodities. That is correct. As Peter said in one of his epistles, they will make merchandise of you. The God of the Jews has become the God of the universe. The real God of the Jews is money. I couldn't have said it better myself. Their God is only an illusory bill of exchange. After taking gold and silver out of circulation, they substitute their banknotes. Next quote. We recognize, therefore, in Judaism, a generally present antisocial element which has been raised to its present peak by historical development, in which the Jews eagerly assisted. And now it has of necessity to dissolve itself. In its final meaning, the emancipation of the Jews is the emancipation of humanity from Judaism, unquote. Now, of course, Marx never had any intention of emancipating humanity from Judaism. This is simply posturing on his part because he was constantly having to deal with non-Jewish socialists and he had to pose as an opponent Of Jewish finance capitalism and since the vast majority of Christians in those days especially those who were well educated understood that Jewish money the Jewish money power is patently evil and destructive of civilization so Marx had to apologize for this in one way or another and that's what this statement is it's an apology not sincere for Jewish capitalism, finance capitalism. Next quote, the classes and the races too weak to master the new conditions of life must give way. They must perish in the revolutionary Holocaust. From Karl Marx, uh, People's Paper, April 16, 1856, Journal of the History of Ideas, 1981. And one more, the chief mission of all other races and peoples, large and small, is to perish in the Revolutionary Holocaust, unquote. So, was Karl Marx a bloodthirsty Jew, or what? Absolutely no doubt about it. But, of course, their real target is us, true Israel, the Adamic race, and especially those of the Covenant of Blood, between Yahweh and his people through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom we are and the Jews are not. The Jews are the worst enemy of the covenant blood. They are trying to exterminate us because they know we can take over. (laughs) We will. In fact, we will take over because this revolutionary Holocaust has been brought up to date by COVID and the global lockdown and the Great Reset They're still doing it, they're still trying to exterminate us. But they have to cloak their hatred of white Christians via this uh, propaganda called population control or planned parenthood, making it sound so innocuous, but the reality uh, but the abortion industry which they also control is not so innocuous, is it? So now they have created this death jab, the infertility jab. I did a show about that last night. It's up on Eurofolk Radio on Restoration Hour, the infertility vaccine, which was in the works, begun by Bill Gates' dad, Bill Gates II, way back in the 1940s. They have been perfecting the infertility vaccine and they have repop- They have repackaged it as the Gates jab or the COVID jab, whatever you want to call it. We see that women especially are reacting to the infertility jab by having excessive bleeding with menstruation and without infertility, all kinds of rashes on their bodies, you name it. That's what's happening to women who are taking the jab. It's also designed to make men infertile. So they have taken the war to a new level. They have been using big pharma to to depopulate the white race with infertility. Now, of course, the vast majority of white people are uh, technically proficient and own lots of technical You know, gadgets like cell phones and computers and modems and you name it. Microwave ovens, which third worlders don't. So, and all of this radiation coming from these devices is killing the sperm in men's testicles. So they're getting us that way too. Do you understand, ladies and gentlemen, that everything the Rothschilds and Jewish community is doing, is designed to reduce our fertility. This is the -the behind-the-scenes war that the Jews have declared since 1945 against the white race. This is where we're at. This is how the global pandemic must be understood. There is no other way to understand it. And these people are all bloodthirsty Jews. Every last one of them. Children of the devil, as Yahshua, our Messiah, told us in John chapter 8, verses 32 through the end, 32 through 44. So uh, Rock Webmaster uh, makes a comment here. And of course, uh, this is a guy who goes by the name of Savage Reb commenting on this article of course, the Jews will always promote the idea that they are the Israelites. And consequently, this causes the Bible to be misunderstood because the Bible is not about Jews at all. It's about the Adamic race. Genesis 5.1, this is the book of the generations. That is the genealogy of Adam. And Adam, Hebrew Adam, means to show blood in the face. The Jews do not show blood in the face because they have so much mixed blood in them, they they don't have the ability to blush. So it's hard to understand, and and the savage Reb is trying to make sense of Genesis 12.3. Of course, Genesis 12.3 is the quotation the Jews always use to pretend that they will be a blessing to the world but they have never been a blessing to the world. They are the people of Yahweh's curse. And the word Jew is not even mentioned in the Bible until several books after the Torah. It's certainly not mentioned in the book of Genesis. So to back up and claim that Abraham was a Jew is absurd. It's utterly absurd. Abraham was the progenitor of Judah if Judah is the origin of the term Jew and actually Judah is not the origin of the term Jew because the Yehudim were pure-blooded Adamic people and one of the twelve tribes of Israel where the Jews have always been a mixed race group antagonistic to Judah and Israel but nevertheless this fantasy that uh, the Jews are Israelites must be maintained even by communist Jews, to fool and flummox the rest of the world. Okay, so he says this, do the will of the Father. This is a new covenant relationship, a spiritual relationship between Jesus and those who will abide in him, the church. So here he's preaching universalism. I always found these verses and Jesus' words interesting, for they speak of the new relationship which had not been confirmed yet but which was soon to come by the shedding of Jesus' blood. So what was that relationship? Clearly, Jeremiah chapter 31 says that there will be a new covenant between me, Yahweh, and you, the two houses of Israel, the house of Judah and the house of Israel. No other people are included in this covenant, nor can they be, because that's a contract. Nobody except the party of the first part, Yahweh, and the party of the second part, Israel, the two houses of Israel, or the two houses of Jacob, as Pastor Martins would say, are a party to the contract. So nobody else in the world, especially not Jews, has anything to say about this contract. It's a contract between us and him, period. And if we abide by the terms of the contract, he will bless us. And if we don't abide by the terms of the contract and become and allow ourselves to become Judaized, then we will suffer tremendously so he asks the question was it abraham personally who was to bless families then throughout the earth no it was through abraham's seed that is offspring he says singular who's that well the jews are a nation they're a goy and so are we we're a goy we're a nation but these two nations have been antagonistic to each other From Genesis chapter 3 onward, he says, no, it was through Abraham's seed that this blessing came 2,000 years ago. It was to be Jesus Christ in the singular, he says, who by his birth, death, and resurrection blessed the people of the earth by making a way for eternal life for all those who would believe in him. Of course, this is total universalism. Uh, And the Jews also preached universalism. Because that's how they want Christians to understand it. They don't want Christians to understand the covenant message. That the covenant between Yahweh and his people Israel is exclusive. The Bible is not written to the people of the world. The Bible is written exclusively to the covenant people. Jesus said, I come not but for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He didn't come to save the world. We Israelites are supposed to be the city on the hill, as Fritoff Persson said this morning, setting the example of just and righteous government. But the Judeo-Christian churches are the furthest example of justice and righteousness you can possibly imagine. They're almost as bad as Jews. Of course, this whole scenario was prophesied by Paul. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we said there would be a great falling away from the true faith by the Israelites themselves. So what is called Christianity today has devolved and permutated into Judeo-Christianity, which is a complete abomination, a complete abject abomination, total distortion of the Bible, just as Judaism is a total distortion of the Bible. Essentially, Judaism is a complete distortion of the Old Testament, and modern Christianity is a complete distortion of the New Testament. There is only one message that stays true to the covenants, and that is Christian identity. No other religion is true to the Bible except ours, period. And he quotes Galatians 3, 13 through 16, with about four minutes left. Christ hath redeemed us. Who's the us? Paul is talking about Israel. He's not talking about the world. From the curse of the law, because the law was only given to Israel and to no other people. Being made a curse for us, or being made the, per, the person who suffers in our stead, take, accept the punishment in our stead. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree that the blessing of Abraham might come on the nations, Gentiles is a false translation, through Jesus Christ. Well, what nations? The blessing of Abraham, but nevertheless, our race, the white Anglo-Saxon, Celtic, Caucasian people, have been a blessing to the world, through our technology, through our art, through our literature, through everything that we have created and invented through the past several thousand years. The Jews have not participated in any of this. In fact, the Jews have corrupted it totally with usury and false claims of uh, biblical truth when it's uh, nothing but lies by substituting the laws of Moses with the Talmud. So everything the Jews have done has been an absolute curse both to us and to the rest of the world. Absolutely no doubt about it. And anybody who does not see this simply does not understand Judaism and does not understand the Bible, period. Okay, so this was written to us. Paul is clearly addressing, uh, who are the Galatians? They were Israelites who had moved to Gaul, settled to Gaul. They were part of the dispersion. But many of them had moved back to the Middle East, to the Levant, and were called Galatians because they were Gaulites of one of the original 12 tribes. So he says, brethren. He called them brethren. They're his own kinsmen, right? He wouldn't use the term brethren to, for Orientals, blacks, and Eskimos. There's no way. And none of these people would have any idea of what the Bible was about. They wouldn't have any interest in it either. And there weren't any of those people in Galatia. He is addressing the Grecoified or uh, Romanized and Grecoified Israelites that had lived in that territory for the past seven hundred years as the Israelites of the dispersion. That's who he's talking to. So then, brethren, he says, "I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant; yet be if it be confirmed, no man disannuleth." or added there Okay, so he said it can't be annulled and it can't have additional people added to the covenant. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Nobody can change the terms of the covenant. What Yahweh wrote on behalf of Abraham and his direct descendants, cannot be changed or altered. Yet the Judeo-Christians are constantly trying to change the terms of the covenant, as is this person here. Then he says, now to Abraham and his seed, his offspring, were the promises made. The promises were made to Israel and Israel exclusively. He saith not and to offsprings, As of many different people, but as of one offspring, and to thy seed which is anointed. Uh, Talking about the people of Israel. These promises were not made to Christ, Yahshua Messiah. Wow. Oh, sorry folks. My alarm clock went off. (laughs) I guess it's time to end the show. All right. Thank you all for listening. Praise Yah. We pass the ammunition. Bye bye.